Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Corey. Father, we're thankful today for the privilege of being in the house of the Lord, and we're thankful, God, for what our hearts have felt. We're thankful, Lord, that even when our families and our brothers and sisters in Christ face death, Lord, we face it not with a, as if it were the end, but we know it's just a new beginning. We're thankful for the hope that we have, the help that you give, and, Lord, the very, very undeniable fact that you're present with us all the way. And, Father, we're glad that those that, those that have been taken uh, by the chilly hand of death walk through that door, Father, unless you come, all of us in this place will walk through one day that by your grace and for your glory we'll meet again. How wonderful that is. What a great promise. But, Father, we're here. We're here in this life. You've called us this hour to this place, to this work. And, Father, we want, we want to be armed as Peter told us to be armed, Father, with the mind of Christ. Now, I pray that you'd touch his lips of clay, that, that you would set my path straight, that you'd bring back to my memory what I ought to say, keep away what I ought not to say, and let me. Let me write the five, this great book that you've called me to declare. If there's anybody in here, God, that's lost, I pray that you would scare the bejeebies out of them today. Help them to realize, God, the day that we're living in. Help them to realize the seriousness of eternity. Help them to realize that their soul will be somewhere in that eternity, even in, either in a heaven that uh, you've gone to prepare or a hell that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. God, save somebody. Save them for your sake. Save them for your glory. And stir the hearts of those who know you, who claim you, God, to be fervent in these last days and whatever's accomplished, we'll be sure to praise you and glorify you for we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior, your Son, and all of God's people said, Amen. Notice that phrase, he said, after the error of Balaam. When we look at the Word of God, we, we find something about this prophet. I'm just going to do a really quick review to bring us up to the message God has given me for today, when I started this three weeks ago, three Sundays ago, I have three points on a message about the characteristics of, of an apostate. And I was going to look and focus on Balaam. Look at the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam, we found out, was that he was a prophet of hire. Balaam is an enigma. Balaam is one of, if not the strangest characters we read about, have record of anywhere throughout the Word of God. This man was amazing in many ways. A king by the name of Balak, who was a king of the Midianites, uh, knew about this prophet who had the power to, whom he blessed was blessed, whom he cursed was cursed, and Balak sought his, his uh ability uh, asking him to come and bless the people of God, the children of Israel, the people of God who had come out of Egypt under the blood of the Lamb and who by chapter 22 of the book of Numbers had been by the cross or that which typified the cross, that pole that had a brazen serpent upon it. So Balaam, friend, he had, he had, he had a power. He was a, 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 a diviner. 
He performed divination. He used enchantments. And he was amazing in a lot of ways because he knew a lot about the God of Israel, knew the ways of God. And you said, he know that. Everywhere that Balak took Balaam, thinking that he would curse the children of Israel, he called and told Balaam and say, here's what you do. Set up seven altars. Not five, not six, but seven. The number of completion and at times perfection. And offer both a ram and a bull upon each altar, seven bullocks, seven rams. So this man, he had a head full of light, but he had no knowledge of God. He had no relationship with God. I mean, to tell you, friend, he knew about God, but he didn't know him personally in a real real way. So we find that Balaam was a man who would sell his services to whoever would give him money. Friend, I tell you, that's what's going along on in a lot of pulpits across America today. There are a lot of men under the name of the banner of Christ proclaiming to be a man of God that are fleecing the people of God. Peter says, 2 Peter 2, that they're making merchandise of you. And then there is the error of Balaam. As I already told you, Balak, he, he, he contracted with Balaam to curse the people of God. He looked at Israel and he was right. There was sin in the camp. They even had that pole with the brazen serpent on it. They were already worshiping it. They had given it the name Nehustan. There was sin in the camp. He looked at Israel, and he only knew of, a, of a, a morality that man knows. He didn't know about the higher morality of the cross. I'm here to tell you, friend, we learned in that message that you can't, and I'm about to get happy right here, you cannot curse whom God has blessed, and I say amen to that. So we come to the final part of this man who is mentioned who is mentioned in five books of the Old Testament, three books of the New Testament. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, 14 or 15, we have the way of Balaam here in Jude 11. We have the heir of Balaam in the book of uh, Revelation 2 and 15. We have um, the doctrine of Balaam. So we see that um, Balaam was important, but he was unique. And let's turn back really quick into chapter 25 of the book of Numbers and pick a couple of verses up there. The first three verses, we make our way back over to the book of the Revelation and finish this little series of, of messages on Balaam. We have no record. We have no record of the communication between Balaam and King Balak over the Midianites. We see chapter 24 ending with Balak frustrated, but with Balaam still having his eyes and more than that, his heart on that house full of gold and silver. Say, how do you know that? The Bible doesn't say that. Well, I'm going to show you how I know it right here in a minute. We don't have a record of the conversation, but we have a couple of references that let us know without a doubt they did have a conversation. 
Balaam himself came to the conclusion, as I've already said, you cannot uh, curse whom God is blessed. It was so clear in the mind of the uh, heart of Balaam that when he saw the latter end of the people of God, I'm talking to redeem, blood-washed, redeemed people of God. He said in 23 and 10 of the book of Numbers, let me die the death of the righteous and let my latter end be like his. Now, he did not die in a righteous manner. He died, friend, with the rest of the Midianites when God brought judgment upon them. But he had enough insight to know that there's a right way to die, sinner friend, and a wrong way to die, sinner friend. He got down to the end of trying to curse them. Balak wasn't happy. Balaam was not happy because he had not been paid yet, but he had a plan. He knew God. That's what I'm saying. This man is an enigma wrapped up in a question mark. And the Bible said in verses 1 through 3 in Numbers 25, And Israel bowed and shit him, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people into the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor. Now watch this. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. You know what Balaam knew about God? Balaam knew that although God would not curse his people. He would chastise his people. Are y'all with me? He knew enough about a righteous God, a holy God, that he could not overlook sin, and he could not, boy, I like this. This is a Charles Spurgeon statement. He could not allow his people to sin successfully. How many of y'all are glad? Hey, wait just a minute. How many of you are saved? How many of you are saved today? Say amen. Well, how many of you are glad that your heavenly Father will not let you sin successfully? Say amen. We ought to rejoice in that. How many of y'all glad for the chastisement of God? Say amen. Here's going to test out whether you're mature or not. How many of you enjoy it? Say amen. No chastisement for the present seemeth to be joyous, but afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised therein. Thank God that God, thank God that God won't let his people live any old way and do any old thing. Turn with me, chapter 31 of Numbers. Really quick, look at verse 16. Here's how I know they had a conversation. This is why I know what happened back in verses 1, 2, and 3 and shit them where it came from. Listen to what it says. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the batter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You know what happened? When Balaam realized that he couldn't curse God's people, he knew what he could do. He could defile them. He knew that he could some way tempt the people of God to commit fornication of two types. A physical fornication with the women of Baal Peor 
and also to commit physical or spiritual fornication with them. And one leads to the other. Say amen right there. And he knew in doing that that God wouldn't let him get by with it. You know what Balak did? Balak designed a feast. And listen now, listen. The devil never gets the ugly things to tempt you. He gets the beautiful things. I'll guarantee you all those women uh, that came to that feast to lure the men of Israel to the feast were good-looking women. Y'all didn't seem to like that, but I know what I'm talking about. Now, I mean to tell you, they, they went crazy, so to speak. But look, I don't have time to deal with that. I told you this is way bigger than what I am. Go back over in the New Testament, over to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, and look at where this last verse is mentioned as we, about Balaam as we have done the other, as we have done the other weeks. Listen to what he said in Revelation chapter 2. I think I said verse 15, but it's verse 14. He said, look, to this church, he said, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, here it is, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idol and to commit fornication. Again, the fornication was of a physical kind and a spiritual kind. Can I tell you what? The two things that John was recording for Jesus as his secretary in these seven letters of the book of the, of the churches uh, of Asia Minor here in the book of the Revelation. You know what God was warning this church to not do? And we're seeing it all around us. Number one, tolerate. You know what? You know what follows toleration? Just as sure as night follows day, compromise. Boy, we're seeing that everywhere. Just as long as you come, come any old way you want. Now, this may not make a lot of people happy. This may be part of why our pews aren't filled, but you ought to be happy whether you agree with me or not that you got a pastor that still has some biblical conviction and the guts enough to preach them. This is not Walmart. This is not your house. This is not your living room. This is the house of God. It's a place of reverence. And we ought to come like we are reverencing the God to whom it is dedicated to. Amen. That's good preaching if I am doing it. Amen. If y'all don't get on the stick, I'm going to come down and name myself. Amen myself. Listen, we're always, see, this, this, see, I got all kinds of notes I'm trying to work through and this thing's done gone sideways. When we come here, 
We don't enter into God's presence. Now, if you understand that, say amen. We're always in God's presence. But we come here at a stated time, a stated uh, place for a stated purpose, and that is to worship the one true God. And you know what I believe we ought to do? We ought to look like it and act like it when we get here with giving the God that is holy our best. Now, I don't want to be mean. Everybody knows me. Say amen. But after I heard what I heard Dr. Burton talk about how this country was formulated, how the men of God in pulpits stood up and led even soldiers to battle against the red coats when we were trying to break the tyranny of England so that we could worship God according to the edicts of our heart and spirit and in truth. I, feel, I felt convicted in a bad way yesterday, like, man, you're not doing enough. And I've always had the ability to stand, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, but if this isn't the kind of church you're looking for, hey, listen, the door swings out as it did open. I don't want to be mean, and I'm not. Hey, can I ask y'all something? What's wrong with somebody wanting to have standards and refuse to compromise in these last days? I think nothing. Listen now, it's not for us. It's not about me. But it's about the God we serve. Now, I can take you over in the Old Testament and show you without a shadow of a doubt, if we could bring two men back from the other side of the grave of the name of, of uh, Nathan and Abai, who, who, was, who was the two guys that dropped dead in Leviticus chapter 11? Nate, Nadab and Abihu, I couldn't think of Nadab. Nadab and Abihu, you know what they were trying to do when God dropped them like a hot rock? They tried to enter in the presence of God in a wrong manner. Now listen, they had a good desire. But newsflash, if we want to worship God, we've got to do it His way, in spirit and in truth, or else you may have a lot of noise, you may have a lot of motion, you may have a lot of something happen, but it won't be true worship. I'll read something to you. Well, since I'm preaching, I guess I can, right? I love it when the Lord deals with my heart. Who would have ever thought that you and I would live to live in a day to where we would watch the church. Now listen to this. I hope y'all remember me saying this when I'm dead and gone. We live in a day when we have watched and are continuing to watch the church that Jesus purchased with His blood, empowered by His Spirit, entrusted with His Word. We've lived to, to watch it be transformed before our very eyes. I'm going to tell you all something. Josh and I talk on occasion. And he and I both are in agreement to where that it would shock the life out of some of y'all if we would 
come in here and tell you all some of the stuff we're seeing done under the name of Jesus. Last one was a bunch of people jumping in a swimming pool, right, Josh? The title of it was the pool party for Jesus. Josh suggested that she and Debbie plan that for my next birthday next year, actually. Now, let me ask y'all something. I've got all kinds of questions about that. First of all, where's that in the Bible? Second of all, what's the purpose? Another question is, how's that spiritual? Now, they were having a big time. I mean, the place was going crazy. Are are y'all with me? You can get together and have a big time, but not worship God. I want my time here to be an investment. I want it to be real. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm going to tell you what's the truth. When I first got called to preach, I made it hard on my children and my wife. I've repented time and time and time against that. One night Todd was trying to blow bubbles and Mandy learned to blow them before he did. He got upset about that and I got upset because all of them were laughing, having a good time and we were on our way to revival and I was so weighted down with knowing I was going to be dealing with souls that would be either saved or lost. I took it out on my family. Y'all remember that, Todd? Do you remember that? Oh, how my heart bleeds over that. They didn't know what I was feeling I was so young and dumb, I didn't have the understanding how to communicate it with them without hurting them, and I know it did. It's hurt me more than it has them, though. Every time I stand there, I deal with your soul. Y'all realize that? A lot of you think because the devil prompts you to, he's just meddling. Oh, she quit that old stuff. I've not said much about what's going on in politics. I don't know if I have to get convicted. I might ought to start doing that again. Some of y'all got upset at it, but I was right in doing it. My conviction is we're in the shape politically in America today because too many people like me have kept their mouths shut. But I'm not afraid of it. I wasn't looking for a place to pastor when y'all called me here. Hello? But I'm glad I'm here. I hope you are too. have no idea where I was going now. But we need to stand. We need, we need to not compromise. We're an old-fashioned church. I tell people we're an old-fashioned church without apology. If that's okay, say amen. I like our music. I like our worship. I like most of the preaching I do. I just like coming to church here. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. Things are falling apart around us in an unbelievable way. 
Who would have ever thought that denominations are falling apart over the question of whether or not they will accept and or ordain homosexuals into their churches and into the ministry. Who would have thought that would ever be an issue when the Bible is so clear? Who would have ever thought that denominations would be ordaining women to the ministry. You can't find that in the book. But when you tolerate things and compromise those things, you can do anything you want to. The error or the doctrine, you know what the doctor, the word doctor means? It means teachings. I'll get to it. I'll get done in a minute. Lord have mercy. I'll find a way to stop. I don't know. It's hard preaching. You hear me? It's it's a hard job to preach the Word of God. It's no easy task. It's overwhelming. It's demanding. It's taxing. It wears you physically, mentally, emotionally. But I'll tell you, I love it. Thank God he called this lump of clay into the gospel ministry. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want any other way. Not too not too long ago. See, I can't even read what I'm holding my hand. Not too long ago. Wasn't the first vestige of all of this progressive church ideology. But it was somewhere when it was all beginning. I mean, it, it, this, this prosperity gospel preaching, you know, have it your way. You're the most important thing about coming to church. Newsflash, no, you are not. You all are in, 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 intricle and intricle. Is that it? Is that the way you say it? Remember, I'm from Boone County. You all are an integral part of this church and coming here. Amen. But you're not the most important. This service is for you, but it's about our Lord and Savior. We come here to worship Him, not us. You see, another thing I like about Roxalana is we're a Christ-centered church, not a man-centered church. Man, this is good. may not be easy. It's weighty. I know that. But... Bill Hybel started something. I wish I could remember the year that he did. Willow Creek, southern, uh, well, s- south of Chicago in Illinois. And that's, that, that state's in bad shape in a lot of ways, is it not? You know how Bill Hybel's built one of the largest mega churches of our day? He set out to build it. Now listen to how stupid this is. Y'all know I don't use that term very often. I'm going to have to pick up the use of it, though, if I keep preaching about the day and the hour we're living in. He went out into the community and asked sinners, what would we have to provide you to get you to come? That's not the way to build a church that God will bless. 
newsflash, just because it's big, just because it's prosperous, just because it's noted, just because it has notoriety and money, doesn't mean God's doing it. Can, can, you, can you imagine going door to door in Dunbar and say, what, what would it take for you to come to Roxalana Gospel Tabernacle? Here, write this down and we'll see if we can't put it in our program. We want you to come and we'll do, in essence, anything you want us to do in order to get you there. Can I tell you what God said would build his church? A clear presentation of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to preach the gospel continually, clearly, and emphatically to build the church. I don't have to be anywhere till 6 o'clock this evening. Y'all willing to... God did not design the church to cater to the community. The desires of the sinner was not written into God's plan on how to build the church, but the needs of the sinner was... When you come to church, you need to have two things happen. To be introduced to the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and then to have somebody that's willing to spit and sweat to introduce you to this man by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, I ought to got more help on that than what I did. Can you think about polling a society to see what they need to have in place or made available to them to come to church. Let me say that again. Let me say this. I don't find that in the Great Commission. You just mentioned it this morning. When you was reading on it, did you find that mentioned in the Great? Now listen to what God, this is all mine, but I want you to get this quote. It is not the job of the church, and this will be online or I can give you a copy. It's not the job of the church to lower the standard, to, to lower its standards. They're not ours to lower, by the way. In order to accommodate whomever or whatever, we're not called to make gospel platable, but available to whosoever will. Thank you. That is good. That's good enough for me to send out on a couple of texts. Copy it and send it out. If you want it, write me. I'll send it to you. It's not my job to make people feel comfortable when they come here. In fact, it's my job to make them feel uncomfortable. Now, we want to make them feel welcome, Right? Steve, when I first came here, wasn't one of the first things we talked about in board member or in board meeting was how to, to make people know they're welcome at Roxalana, didn't we? And didn't the board decide that they would make an intentional effort to be examples and leaders of that? And now everybody that comes, you know what they'll say? Why, wow, that's a friendly church. Things don't happen by accident. Do you all realize that? That was so good, I want to read that again. But I'm not going to. 
the letter to the church of Thyatira. He said, now here's the deal. God never condemned them for something coming in, did he? If you read Jude, verse 4, he said that there will be creeps that enter in. They will be turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Hold up just a minute. Because the grace of God is greater than any and all of our sins. Because God says for sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Now get this, it does not give us license or liberty to sin. If you're living in fornication and you claim to be a Christian, you need, you, need, you need to either repent and get out of that or else repent and get right with God because if you're living in a lifestyle, I've got question about whether or not you're saved. That's the book. I can show it to you. I can show it to you. They weren't guilty because something come in. That shouldn't have come in. We've had things to try to get in here since. We've been in our new building. One not long ago. Somebody was here. Loved the fella. Right now I have nothing against him. But I wasn't about to let the doctrine that he held to get a foothold in this place. I'm a watchman. I don't want to be a watchdog. It's not what God, I don't want to. Could, I wouldn't make much of a bulldog, would I? I could put on one of them big collars with those spikes on or whatnot. I'd go around. Rawr, 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 rawr. It wouldn't scare anybody to death. I'm not, that's not my nature. I, I, I don't even want to be that way. I may be ugly enough to do that, but still wouldn't scare you. I, I'm not big enough. Not, you know what I'm saying? I'm to be your watchman, not your watchdog. Folks, I'm telling you, we got enough to watch out for. Greg, say amen. Josh, say amen. But here's where they got into a problem. God, help me get done. They began to tolerate what came in. See, it's one thing for something to come in that's wrong and not know it. But it's an altogether another thing to have something come in and you know it's wrong and do nothing about it. Because here's the deal. It's kind of like zoysia grass. Once it gets its root in, dude, you're in trouble. Hard to dig out. Hard to spade out. Poor illustration. What's that Japanese vine that grows all over the place and just takes over everything? That's the way false doctrine is. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way false truth does. And tolerance turns in to compromise. Folks, we're not to compromise the gospel. We're not to compromise the fact that the Word of God says clearly, come ye out from among the world and be ye separate, saith the Lord. What about be not unequally yoked with unbelievers? What about you cannot eat of the Lord's table, the table of Belial? 
What about walk circumspectly in this world? Ephesians 5, 15. What about walk, walk uh, in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Galatians maybe 5, 15. How about in the book of Colossians 3, 4, maybe? Mortify the deeds of the body. You know what the word mortify means? It means to put them to death. A lot of us like to pacify them. Say ouch or amen. We're all guilty of that. You know what we ought never tell our kids, you young parents? I'd never tell my grandchildren that, nor my children, I don't think. I was dumb, but I wasn't totally dumb back then. You ought not tell them sin doesn't have pleasure in it because it sure does. Just need to tell them what the right thing to do with that, that thing that's sin if you do it out of the breaches of God's will, how to do it in the right way. And that covers a lot of territory. It's more than just sex, by the way. Am I doing all right? You, you know what? is going on in this day and hour, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to quit. I'm serious about it. I could keep you here till six. That's all I got right there was what else could be said. I could very well do that. You know what's going on in today? The Word of God and the God of the Word is being set aside. I can prove that to you by one verse that states clearly, Behold, I stand on the door and knock. Revelation 3.20. Now that's, that, that's used a lot of times an invitation for a sinner to come to trust Christ as Savior. I've used it like that in application, and that's okay. But when you write to divide the Word of God, that's a picture of Jesus Christ in the last day standing on outside of the church that He purchased with His blood because He's been forced outside because man has been put on the inside. That's good preaching. You know, what's trans, you, you know what's transpiring? This book. Boy, you, you all that come to Rock's Land, you ought to say glory, hallelujah, because we put a premium on the Word of God. I don't have anything else for y'all. I'm not good at storytelling. I'm lousy at illustrations. I'm not real good at preaching. Y'all just love me so much you look over. But experience has been put in the place of the Word of God in this hour. That's how the church is being transformed. Tolerance, compromise, and experience replacing the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God clearly says, try the Spirit, whether it be of God. You try your experience by the Word of God, not the Word of God by your experience. I've talked to people that say, well, preacher, I know what the Word of God says. Could y'all guess what the next word is? I I know what I experienced. Oh, preacher, you just had to be there. It's wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad to have experiences. I have experiences. Thank God for them. But we don't test the Word of God by experience. If our experience don't line up the Word of God, we ought to junk that experience and see what the Word of God says about what we just experienced. There are all kinds of spirits in this world. In the last days, many friends shall follow seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's the book. Listen, our soul 
rule of faith and practice is this book. Allison, Maggie, you listen to Papa. You hear me? If the Lord doesn't come, you all are in for it on the road ahead. But you don't, don't ever give up his book. It may cost you more than you'd want to give up, but you stay with this book. Not the first time I've told him that. It won't be the last. Mon Judy, I'll never quit. And feelings. I'm glad to have If you have feelings, say amen. Aren't feelings a wonderful thing? They really are. Even when you've laid your hand on a stove when you shouldn't have, that's a blessing. Oh, you think I'm kidding you. If you didn't have feeling in that hand, you know what happened? That burned right off her and you'd be walking around like this. Hard feelings are good feelings. I don't even know why I waste ink and time and paper writing down notes sometimes. I can't communicate what my heart feels, what I sadly see in our world today. There's a lot of people that because they're blind and being being led by somebody that's blind, they're going to end up in the ditch. It's that thing, Josh. They're happy about it. They're just going along, just happy as a coon and pine tree. I don't know much. I know that. I, I know some, so don't, don't take the, either one of those statements wrong. I'm thankful for what I know. I'm not trying to set forth a false sense of humility. I, I'm not trying to do that. I, I, just, I, just, I don't know much. But what I know, I like. I know how I got what I know. I know where I got what I know. And I'm not going to give it up. I'm just, I'm just not going to give it up. We could lower the standard here at Roxalana. We could probably fill every seat up in this place. But the board wouldn't let me do that. Y'all got that kind of board, not just your pastor. Or, or, do y'all realize you got that kind of board? If you do, say amen. Y'all ought to be happy about that. We all need some degree of accountability. We're living in the last days, folks. I believe that. Dear God, I believe that. I look for the Lord to come every day. He could come before this day is over. 